You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. Parents, it's Robin McMahon here. Just before you dive into this episode, I want to invite you to join my new membership site for free. My site, which is at www.parent-toolbox.com, is the companion to my award-winning podcast where you will find game-changing tools and resources from me and from my expert guests who are among the top leaders in the parenting world. Join for free today at www.parent-toolbox.com. Now back to the show. Hey everybody, it's Robin here. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future. Okay, we need to talk safety. Safety is really important. Safety for you, safety for your kids. And who better than to have a former Air Marshal, Gary Questenberry here to talk to us. He's written a book called Spotting Danger Before It Spots You and Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Kids. This is an episode every parent needs to listen to. So let me tell you a little bit about Gary, who's here. I'm so happy to have you here. Gary Questenbury was born in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, where his parents taught him the value of hard work, patriotism, and commitment to family. His passion for the outdoors and patriotic spirit led him to enlist in the United States Army at the age of 17, where he worked as an, uh, I can't even say that word, artillery artillery. (laughs) Uh, during Operation Desert Storm. And after the events of 9-11, Gary went to work as a federal air marshal. There, he traveled the world in his country's service and devoted his time to studying the fields of violence and predatory behavior. In October 2020, Gary retired from federal law enforcement and is now the CEO of Questenberry Personal Defense Training. There, he's developed numerous basics and advanced level training courses focused on mental toughness and defensive tactics. He has an extensive background in domestic and foreign counter-terror training and has worked both in the private and corporate sectors to educate others on the importance of situational awareness and personal safety Wow, Gary, thank you so much for being here. I'm so honored to have you here. Well, I appreciate it. And and the pleasure is all mine. I I think this is something really fantastic that you're doing, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. Oh, well, this is is incredible. And, you know, you have one of those jobs that we watch on TV and movies or, you know, whatever. So, like, like I'm I'm a little geeking out is what I'm doing right now. Because I think, like, to be a fly on the wall... um, with somebody who does the kind of work that you do, I think would be fascinating. I'm sure you have seen a lot of stuff. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen some pretty fun stuff, but you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a lot of just sitting around waiting on something bad to happen. So there's a lot of downtime and it's not, it's not as exciting as you might mm. think, but it's, I might be playing it down a little bit, but it, it was a good job. So you're not like the real life Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love it. So tell me, um, you know, you, you said you're retired now. And so I guess you had some time on your hands, but why did you, why did you write this book? And actually this book, uh, Spotting Danger Before It Start, Spots You, is the first in a series, right, yeah. of books that you're writing. And the book that we're talking about today is Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Kids, which the hard copy is released today. So that's so exciting. Um, but tell me why you wrote the book. Okay, so... I started writing Spotting Danger Before It Spots You when I was still an active federal air marshal. So, you know, I was an instructor for the Federal Air Marshal Service for three years at our National Training Academy. And we taught a lot of situational awareness and how it applies to every part of your training. And it's not just this one little standalone piece that you learn one time and then stop thinking about. So I started making notes and writing stuff down. And eventually I submitted this you know, this manuscript to YMAA publications. And it, it was kind of a broad, like just a broad self-defense book. And I, <laughs> this is funny because in the beginning, they actually used the words unfit to publish, <laughs> which, you know, every writer I think has to deal with that, you know, that negative feedback. But the great thing about YMAA publications is they offered, you know, some so some insights as to what readers would appreciate. And they thought that because of my job as a federal air marshal and the way I did everything during the course of my work, 
that situational awareness was what they called our superpower. So Mm -hmm. they said, you know, try to write a book just about situational awareness and try to apply it to just everyday people, not necessarily military Mm -hmm. law enforcement. And let's take a look at that and see how how it works. So I completely trashed the first manuscript, took out little bits and pieces, you know, that I thought I could use in a more narrow venue that they wanted me to write in. And I finished another manuscript about six, eight months later, sent it Mm -hmm. to them. They're like, this is perfect. We want to publish it. And as a matter of fact, we think that we want to make this a series. So, you know, I I couldn't be more fortunate than to have run into the good people of YMAA publications and have them, you know, like take a gamble on me, a first time Mm -hmm. writer and, and start putting this information out. But the first book is spotting danger before it spots you. And it's just a general guide to situational awareness. The second book, which the uh, the ebook releases tomorrow, and then the hard copy, the paperback, will be out June the first. Yeah, that, so this is released June the first. So we're 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 in the future. Yeah. So today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forget about that. Okay. So the uh, uh, the second one, spotting danger before it spots your kids, is for parents raising children, and you know as well as I do, you know that. Kids have a tendency to get into a little bit of trouble. They're very outgoing and optimistic and they like to see the best in people. And sometimes that can have, you know, negative consequences. So the second book talks about situational awareness for it's for parents, but it gives parents the tools they need to set their children down and talk to them about these things in a way that's not going to terrify the kids because I'm not an advocate for using fear as a tool when you're teaching kids. So that's kind of where the whole thing is going right now. Yeah, I love it. And that's such an interesting point because I think it's true and maybe I'm guilty of it too when my kids were little of of reusing fear to sure. protect them because I didn't know what else to say. And right. so this is so good. Um, and I can't wait for your next book in this series, which is going to be about teenagers. Okay, we yeah. all need that. I don't know if I'm, I hope it's okay that I said that. No, it's um, perfect. Okay, good. Because well, I mean, it's not like it's all about me, but still, it's uh, it's it's good to know that because look, our there there is a shift that happens when our kids are teenagers, and uh, and they they their thinking changes, their you know their their need for sort of adventure and trying things and whatever independence, you know. They they start seeking that independence. I'm I'm a a father of three. My wife and I raised three kids. They're all grown now. They're all off in the world doing their own thing. And, you know, we were pretty fortunate and it wasn't without bumps in the road. And when Mm -hmm. I started writing these books and we started thinking about situational awareness, you know, some of the, some of the negative things that happened throughout the course of my career that involved my family, you know, I was able to kind of spin that so that it, it, it helped me to educate them more uh, thoroughly on the fact that there are bad things in the world that could possibly try to hurt you, what to look for, how to spot it. And when you do spot it, how to give yourself an opportunity to give away from it, because that's 100% the best way to keep yourself safe in every situation. You could, you know, you can learn every self-defense technique known to man, but if you can't see it coming, it's going to be a lot harder for you to fight it. So you know, that that's what situational awareness is all about. And that's what I always try to teach my kids. And I think it's, you know, I think as a family, it's served us all very well in the past. Yeah. Well, I think that's so important. And, and, and what, you know, I think that there's some reality in what you're saying too, right? Is that we can't say, oh, that won't happen to me because the statistics say that, you know, violent crimes happen against people. I think in the book, uh, in, in in Spotting Danger Before It Spots You, you say it's 383 acts of violence against a person for every 100,000 people, right? Right. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is you need to have situational awareness. You need to know these things because the bad guys know these things too. Sure. And what they're looking, you know, we're not doing ourselves any favors if we just keep saying to ourselves or to our loved ones that this is never going to happen to us. It's the stuff you see happen on the news. It's stuff that happens in, you know, other countries that aren't as well off as we are, whatever. That's, that's, a, that's a fallacy. And it's a very dangerous one because what happens when you tell people that all the time is they start to let their guard down. And when you start to let your guard down, predators are looking for that. When they're looking for a victim, they're looking for people that have their guard down. So when it comes to children, 
the best thing we can do for them is not to just kind of brush over or gloss over things in the news and be like, oh, honey, that'll never happen to you because I'm here. You know, that's not always going to be the case. So in my second book, Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Kids, I talk about little methods that parents can use to start their to start the conversation with their children about situational awareness. Now, we're talking about young kids, ages four to 12, and it's impossible to set a four-year-old down and say, let's talk about situational awareness and get any kind of buy-in from them. They're just not going to, you know, they're not, they're not going to listen, you know, but you know, you can start playing little games and having little conversations about things that spark their imagination because that's the key. Their imagination is what fuels their, their, their cognitive abilities, you know, their problem solving skills, their, Mm -hmm. you know, their, uh, their uh, critical thinking skills and stuff like that. So, you know, by starting these conversations at a young age and not necessarily just talking about situational awareness, you're actually building the foundation for what they need later on in life to start the actual conversations about situational awareness and those, and those frightful things that they may encounter as teenagers. But when they're young, you don't want them to be afraid of everything. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, what I tell parents all the time is when you use fear as a tactic, when you're talking to kids about this thing, there's only, there's only two possible outcomes. One is it works. And now your child's afraid. You don't want that. The second one is you try to use something to scare your child and that doesn't happen or it doesn't come to pass. And now you as a parent just lost credibility in the eyes of your child, because now you're kind of like the boy that cried wolf. You know, you keep telling me everything's going to hurt me, but nothing is. So why can I not, you know, just do what I want, you know, and it starts this kind of a spiral in their mind that leads them to think that, you know, well, maybe, maybe they don't know that much and I'm going to do it this way. But if you structure your conversations in the right way and you give them the right amount of information, you're building them up so that they're confident and aware and they're interacting with their environment in a way that keeps them safe as opposed to just frightened. Mm. Well, and tell me how us teaching our kids about stranger danger is not a good thing. So, you know, you've heard stranger danger ever since you was little, I'm sure. Right. Oh yeah. And, and my wife and I, when our children were little, that was kind of the go-to thing because that's what we learned as parents, but we didn't want our children to be afraid. Now, my wife is a nurse and she learned early on in her career that, you know, sometimes children, you know, they have to communicate with other adults, you know, they get separated from a parent or something. And if they're afraid of every stranger that they see, they're not going to interact with that person the way they should to keep themselves safe. So, you know, my, my wife and I always taught my, our children that what they should be looking for are the right types of strangers to approach with a problem if it concerns their personal safety. So my wife always told my children, and if you're looking, if you, if we get separated in a store or whatever, and this actually happened to me at a a 5k run in Las Vegas. So you get separated from your parent. The first thing you should do is, you know, try to find the parent because they could be very close to you and you're just not seeing them you know, call their name. Don't be afraid to yell their name. We'll be yelling your name back. And if none of that works, then you need to find someone that can help you. And that could very well be a stranger. And, you know, if it's not your parents and somebody you came there with, then obviously it's going to be a stranger. So it's, it's finding the right people for your children to interact with. And my wife always told my kids that if you're separated to look for another mom, someone who, you know, has children of their own and tell them what's wrong, because, Without, without fail, a woman who's there with her children, aside from sacrificing the safety of her own children, there's nothing that she won't do to see that child reunited with her parent. It's just, it's just the way moms work, you know, and it's a beautiful thing. So you can tap into that. But if you teach your kid that all strangers are dangerous, they're never going to have that resource available to them. That is so good. I never thought of that. I never thought of that. And it's true. Us mamas, we are going to protect all the babies. It's so yeah, true. It's so true. I would 100. <laughs> and I have done it many times. I have seen, I, I remember the, the last time this happened was we were at a big festival and I saw this little kid who was just sort of like, I could tell 
he was not with his parent and didn't know where they were. And so I scooped him up and I said, okay, let's find your mommy and daddy. And then it doesn't take long to find the stressed out, you know, stricken parent who is, you know, desperately searching for their child. Right. So, um, so that's very true. I also think that um, maybe like a cashier or somebody that works there would be a good stranger. And of course a police officer or somebody in a uniform, wouldn't you say is a good stranger too? Well, absolutely. In the book, I actually, at the end of each chapter, I have these little practical exercises that you can do with your kids. At the end of every chapter, in all my books, I put practical exercises and then also try to put positive examples of children in action. You know, like not not a kid that got kidnapped and something that ended horribly, but something that ended on a positive note because everybody participated and did the things they were supposed to do to keep themselves safe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do. And one of the chapters in the book is called Game Night. And I talk about different types of games you can play with your children to start building these situational awareness skills. And Mm -hmm. one of them is called spot the good guy. And that's a game that you can play with your kids. If you go to the department store, to the mall or to the park or whatever, you know, you just have your child look around and say, okay, now point out the people to me that you think are good guys. And then tell me why. And I say guys as a general term, you know, but just find the people that you, you know, that you think could help you in an emergency situation and tell me why. Well, obviously, because I work in law enforcement, federal law enforcement, you know, my kids are like, oh, cops, you know, of course, yes. But, you know, moms, and then you explain why, and then cashiers or security people and things like that, and you explain why. And then you, you know, they, they kind of branch off of that. So those little games, those little, those little games that just keep them, keep their heads up and keeps them aware of their surroundings and interacting with their environment. They're already ahead of the game when it comes to situational awareness. And, and you, when you just talked about seeing the little kid at the fair, you know, Mm -hmm. you were using situational awareness because every situation has a baseline, right? A baseline behavior is just a, it's what's normal in any given circumstance. And at a fair where everybody's excited and having fun, you expect to see kids running and playing and, you know, doing different things and smiling and just having a, having a blast. When you see one by themselves and looking panic stricken, that's a baseline anomaly and you zero in on that and okay, now something's wrong. And then you found out what was wrong. And then you kind of, and then you use that situational awareness in the exact same way to spot a baseline anomaly and you see the parent and the, you know, the panicked face and everything. And you realize Mm -hmm. that, okay, that's a match. This is, you know, this is where these things meet. So that, you know, the example that you just gave of something you did is the perfect example of how situational awareness actually works. That's so cool. Well, and you know, one of the things I learned from my friend who I know, you know, as well, Jason Brick, who has uh, the safest family on the block. Uh, It's a, it's a show that he has on YouTube and uh, he has a a blue, a family blueprint that you can actually get in the toolbox in the parent toolbox. If, uh, if you know about that parents who are listening, um, he says that look for things that are out of place. No, don't look at the regular things, but look when there's a change in behavior, when there is, when there's an anomaly, right? That's your clue to, to something being off. Yeah. That's, that's the key to situational awareness in general is one having your head. I call this series of books, the heads up series. And Mm. I do that for a reason because just picking your head up and looking around automatically makes you a much harder target in the eyes of a predator, Mm. that one little thing. So, you know, just getting your head up and interacting with your surroundings makes you less appealing to predators. And it's, uh, you know, when I talk about it in the book, I talk about, you know, having your head up, understanding what baselines are, you know, so that's the second piece of it. Aside from having your head up, understanding what baselines are, understanding what's normal in every different situation. So if I go to the beach, I can expect to know how people dress, how they're going to be acting. Same thing with a fair. Same thing if you went to a church or a funeral. You know, there's there's a certain there's a certain thing that you expect when you walk in, how people are going to be acting, how they're going to be feeling, how they're going to be dressed. And when something rises above that and catches your attention, those are the things that you need to to focus in on because some of that could be what we call pre-incident indicators to a violent encounter and learning what those little pre-incident indicators are and how to spot them within your baseline are what keeps you safe. Okay. Wow. 
Um, now, you just said a couple of things about being, um, I, I think you said soft target or hard tar target, yeah. like don't make yourself easy to grab. And so before we were recording, I'm going to share my story with you, which is a little bit, well, it's not funny. I think it was, it, I'm so glad I learned this. So um, I remember in high school going through some training um, to keep us safe as teenagers and uh, one of the things that I remember that has stayed with me to this day is to not be a soft target, to be a hard target. And I know that my appearance might look like I could be an easy target. And you said, what is it? You said Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy yeah. knew by the, the, the tilt. tilt of a, yeah, the tilt of a person's head who his next, next, next victim was. Wow, that yeah. is creepy and then some, right? That, that's, that's scary. Anyway, so what they told us is don't be a soft target, be a hard target. So if somebody comes up to you, don't be nice. And so I think that, and so I'm going to, I'll, I'll tell you my, my, uh, the scenario, but I want to, I want to add to that, how we will talk to our kids about what's being nice and what's not being nice, because it's okay to not be nice. And so this scenario that I, that I experienced was, um, I was at the bus stop when I was in my late teens, early twenties, probably more late teens. And I remember them teaching, you know, you don't have to be nice when somebody talks to you, which I was never taught that. I was always taught you've got to be nice, use your manners, be polite. And so somebody asked me the time and immediately that lesson came back to me. And instead of saying, oh yeah, it's 11.45. I said, it's 11.45. Right? So, so and I was okay with that, but that was a way to protect myself, right? And like, ugh, I, I'm sure he recoiled a little bit. Like the poor guy just wanted the time, but it doesn't matter. If I'm going to protect myself, I need to know to do things like that. So that's what you're also teaching is, it's okay to not be nice sometimes, right? Sure. Well, the, the way I've always taught, you know, my kids is, you know, be nice, be polite, be cordial to people. But when it comes to something that gives you a bad feeling because intuition matters, if someone mm -hmm. approaches you and you just don't feel right about it, or if they're displaying any of these pre-incident indicators that we talked about and you feel like your safety could be in danger, you always be nice until it's time to not be nice. Mm -hmm. And then once that flip, that switch gets flipped, you know, then, then you're, you know, it's okay to be aggressive and assertive and downright rude, you know, and if somebody ever puts their hands on you and you don't want them to, then manners go completely out the window. You know, you cause a scene, you fight, you do whatever you have to do to get that person away from you and draw attention to the situation. Because there are two types of predators, right? There are resource predators and process predators. Now, a resource predator is someone who sees something that you have and they want it, right? So it might be an expensive laptop case or a watch or whatever. They see something physical on you that they want to take because they can flip it for cash or whatever. The other type of predator is a process predator. And a process predator is someone who doesn't necessarily care what you have on you. They're in it for the act of violence itself. You know, that's your Ted Bundy types. But, you know, they all kind of stick to the same script when it comes to those pre-incident indicators and the things that they kind of give away in their process when they're approaching you that would, if you know what to look for, you can tell that they're up to no good. Once you've learned to identify that, then there's certain options that you have. You have avoidance, which if you can see something bad coming from a distance and you see a way to get around it, then that's always your best option is to get around it. And that's what I talk about teaching kids in my second book. The other one is escape. So something's already bad happening. How do you get away from it? You know, you can't avoid it, but you can get out of it. But how do you get yourself out of it? And then you have your communication skills. And then lastly, you have confrontation. And when it comes to the confrontation piece, that's what I'm talking about when I say you've got to flip that switch. It's time to not be nice anymore. Manners go out the window and you may have to fight. I don't talk. You know, the, these aren't, these aren't self-defense books in the sense that they're going to teach you how to throw a punch or anything like that. You know, I always encourage, you know, families to get their kids involved with some sort of a sport to keep them fit, at least, you know, looking like they could probably handle themselves if they had to, you know, or for smaller kids, obviously that's not a, an issue. But, you know, just just making yourself a harder target goes well beyond, you know, just learning to throw a punch or, you know, enrolling your kid in some sort of a self-defense class. It really starts with just body language and posture. 
So like Ted Bundy said, you know, he could spot his next victim by the tilt of her head. There was a, this is kind of interesting. So I put this in the first book, actually. There's a study in 1981 done by Grayson and Stein, these two sociologists. And what they did was they put a camera up in Times Square and they filmed people walking by during the course of the day, just going about their business, doing different things, you know, to and from. And then they took those tapes and they played them for a group of inmates in a local prison. And the inmates that they showed these videos to were, were violent offenders, right? So rapists, murderers, you know, people that are, you know, attacked other people in some physical sense. Uh, and they had them rate the people in the videos, the people walking by in the video, they had them rate them between a, a one and a 10. So one to three was soft targets. People that like, okay, I would, I would, I could totally take advantage of this person. And then seven to 10 were hard targets. People, they're like, not, nah, I wouldn't touch that person. And this is why. And then they, they broke it down, you know, as to the reasons they rated people the way they did. The people that they rated as soft targets, it was all body language. They walked with their head down. They took short shuffling strides. They looked unsure of their movements as opposed to the people they rated as hard targets. Not not given. This is the only information that they had to go off of is the the video of these people walking. But the people that they considered to be hard targets had their head up. They were moving with a purpose. They were taking medium to long strides. Their arms are moving in, you know, in coordination with their legs. They just look like they know what they're doing, where they're going. Those are the hard targets. So, you know, these are things that you can teach your kids, you know, and and the number one thing that I always get on my kids for is don't let yourself slip into what we call condition white, which is where you're completely oblivious to your surroundings. And, that all starts with just getting your head up out of your cell phone. There's a time and a place for that. But as soon as you start staring at your cell phone, you get what we call focus lock, which is something that's so enticing that it completely takes away everything else in your environment. And you're just so solely focused on that, that you lose track of everything around you. And that makes you, one, it changes your body language, makes you look like a soft target. Two, you're super easy to approach because you're not paying attention. And three, that's just one of the things that predators look for when they're looking for a victim. Oh, that's such good advice. Yeah, I think you even lose your peripheral vision. You're just like sucked into that screen. It's dangerous. You even have a picture of somebody standing in the middle of a busy sidewalk, just looking straight down. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with this picture? Uh, a, a few things are wrong with this picture. <laughs> well, there, there's, there's actually a little experiment you can do you know, with yourself. Yeah. And I learned this in a class that I took a long time ago. And this is when people first started you know, getting cell phones and staying locked on them all the time. <laughs> So you can take your cell phone, you're going to lay it down on the table and have something up that's interesting to you. And you're looking at it or you're reading a little article on Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you put your hands out to your sides and move your fingers. Right. And when you're focused on that, you can't see your fingers. move. You can't do okay, it. I'm gonna try. Limit your. Okay. I can't. All right. Now, okay, now, yeah. now, if you're now, if you're not, if you're looking down right at your cell phone, moving your fingers, you can't see it. But if you just completely ignore the cell phone and you look straight ahead, arms in the same position, wiggle your fingers the same way, but you can see it. So when your head's up, you actually open up your peripheral vision. You don't have that focus lock. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, you just expanded your environment, you know. And and trust me, there is nothing on that cell phone that is so pressing that it's worth sacrificing your personal safety for. And that's one of the things I talk about extensively in the third book, which is spotting danger before it spots your team. Yes. Deal with a completely different set of circumstances. And they're so engaged in that social media piece and just being connected constantly that they lose the connection with their natural environment. And it, and and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Mm. Meanwhile, in other news, Gary is coming to my house to tell my kids that directly. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell tell anybody that will listen. That's why I wrote the books. (laughs) So you said something before um, about how intuition is can save you, right? And how do you teach your kids about intuition? So it's it's different with children, you know, as with adults. But what you can tell a child is if you get a bad feeling about somebody that's that's near you or you see somebody that gives you a weird feeling to listen to that feeling there's a reason that you're getting that it's ingrained in our dna you know this intuition and what a lot of people just write off as a gut feeling is actually a cognitive process in our minds 
you know, we know what our environment is supposed to look like. We know how people are supposed to be acting, how people are supposed to be treating us in general, how people are supposed to look at us in passing. We know these things because we see it every day. We just don't really take the time to focus on it. Mm. Now, when something happens that's outside of what we consider to be normal, something triggers our minds and it happens so quickly that it actually overrides that, that, that thought process, that drawn out, you know, thought process Mm. that we use. And it, and it triggers a fear response, which causes our blood to kind of move into our extremities, which can make our fingers tingle. And people say they get the chills, right? Or when that happens, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. You've heard people say this. That's a, physio- that's a physiological response to fear. And the reason you're afraid is because something happened that you weren't necessarily aware of, mm. that your mind registered and is triggering your fear response so that you can get away from it. That's what intuition is. And we're the only animals on the planet. I tell people this all the time. We're the only animals on the planet that ignore that. You know, we'll look danger right in the face and we'll try to rationalize it. Like, why is this person here? Why are they doing this? Why is this guy asking me for the time? Right. Yeah. And, and instead of just listening to that intuition, flipping that switch and getting away from it. You know? So, so intuition is incredibly important and it's important to start talking to your kids about what it is how it works and why they should listen to it early, early. Start that conversation as early as you can. Yeah. Well, it's the wiring that we have for survival, right? We are survival first. And so even, even when you're scared, you make the face right where your eyes widen to take in more of the scene. You take a breath in because you may need to bolt, right? You may need to run or whatever. And also when you see that universal scared face, startled face, it also shows another person that you're scared and that there's danger around too. So there's a lot of these little intricacies that we have as human beings that, um, that, that are there to keep us safe, but we miss them. We don't understand them. We don't know why they're there. And so I I really like what you're saying. It's, 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 yeah, when you feel that there's a, there's a reason for it and listen to it, right? If you're wrong. Okay. No problem. No harm done. If you're right. Wow. That's incredible. You can, and, and, you know, I tell people all the time, you can always trust a child's intuition. You know, they're, they're very, Mm -hmm. they're very unexpected and the younger they are, the more in tune they are with it. So, you know, if you're ever introducing your child to, to someone and, you know, you know this person, but your child is like clinging to your leg and like acting afraid, don't force that child, you know, to, to try to befriend that person because there's a reason yeah. they're afraid of them and just trust it and don't. Yeah, you know, yeah. If, you know, I know. I've it, actually noticed that with my kids, how they can kind of not like someone and really like someone. It's really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, it's like you said, it's a, you know, it's ingrained in our DNA. It's something that we're born with. And I think younger children are more in tune with it than we are as adults because we learn to, to kind of override it and, and, and rationalize things where they haven't necessarily got to that point yet. So they depend on that intuition. And when they start clinging to your leg and they act like they're afraid, that's because they know they don't have the physical tools they need to protect themselves and they're depending on you to do it for them. So, right. so let, 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 you know, as an adult, as a parent, we need to take our cues from the kids when it comes to dangerous situations. Like there's a reason that my child is afraid of this person. And why is that? So then we as adults can start looking for some of those pre-incident indicators that, that, that accompany violent encounters, mm-hmm. whether we know wow. the person or not, because like it or not, especially with women, you know, that's a sad statistic is 70% of violence against men is, com- is committed to get by strangers, right? Violence against men is committed by strangers, 70%, okay. 77% of violence committed against women is by someone that that woman knew. So that's, that's completely, you know, the opposite of each other. And it's a sad fact, but, you know, as, as mothers with children, if your child doesn't trust somebody, listen to that child, you know, take, take stock of what they're trying to tell you and learn, learn these concepts that I put in this book about spotting dangerous situations by using those pre-incident indicators, know what they are, what to look for and Mm. what they mean so that you can better plan and protect yourself in the future. That, that's so, that's so great. So let me ask you a couple more questions here. So what is, um, what is the biggest danger out there that you would identify for kids right now? Do, is there one, is there a handful? 
there's there's they, they come from a lot of different directions yeah. you know obviously uh with kids now especially and and not to turn a dark corner or anything here but it's just the sad fact of the matter you know human trafficking is is an enormous problem and it's happening right here in the united states and you know they target these preteen children because they're a renewable resource for them and you know they traffic them to different cities and they're from different cities to different countries and you know it's it, it's horrible so you know just keep a close eye on your kids love them to and death so how do they do that how do they get them well they there, there's certain targets that they look for you know these people who uh, recruit or groom yeah. these children for this kind of thing and a lot of the times it happens with you know in, inside their own schools like, you know, with younger, like preteen people, especially, you know, they're looking for people who are a little bit insecure. Maybe they come from a broken family or something and they're looking for, you know, for some sort of, uh, you know, role model in their life. So it's, God, it's so hard to even talk about sometimes. I, because I don't even want to talk about it, but we have to. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I just read, I just read an article a little while ago, a friend of mine, Craig uh, Sawyer, they call him Sawman. He's uh he's a former Navy SEAL sniper and just a great guy all around. He was one of my first supervisors when I became a federal air marshal in Las Vegas. He started a foundation called Vets for Child Rescue. And that's what they do. They target these human traffickers. But I'm reading an article about how uh, this guy kidnapped this little girl and he would lace ice cream with opioids. And he got her hooked on the opioids through ice cream. And then he would have this young girl, you know, do things for ice yeah, cream. Let's not talk about what, oh, that is just disgusting. And, you know, like I said, not to turn a dark corner, but there are I bad, people, there are bad people in the world. You know, the good news is that we have tools within ourselves and as a community that we can kind of pull together and learn about and watch for these things so that we're better protecting our own families, our own communities. It all starts within the house with our children. Mm-hmm. And then we help our family. We help our friends and our community. And if we all branch out and we work together on this and we know what we're looking for, we know how to spot it and we know how to address it when it comes up, then we're making everybody, everybody safer. So yeah. that's, that's, that's the goal is to try to get this information out to as wide a range of people as I possibly can. And like I said, I didn't, I didn't write these books for military and law enforcement types. These are for, you know, just regular folks that are concerned about their safety they might not be a black belt in jujitsu or carry a gun or any of these things that people do to protect themselves. But I don't care what your preferred method of self-defense is. You can't fight what you don't see coming. And that's what these books are about is they're helping you see these things coming from a distance so that you have more time to react to it, more time to avoid it, keep yourself mm-hmm. and your family safe. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, I, I, I can't, I love everything, every word that comes out of your mouth. I love, it's so important. It's so, so important. And look, the, the reality is, is you're right. You can't see what's coming. You don't know what you don't know. And so sure. you need to educate yourself. And the, the reality is, is that our kids can be propositioned more easily now because of social media, because, you know, of being online and phones. And the reality is, is that when your child has a phone, they have access to so much out there that is not good for them. And other people have so much access to them. And I interviewed um, the the founders of the Organization for Social Media Safety. And so I want to just say in this moment right now that there is, uh, in the parent toolbox, there is um, a free parenting course on how to keep your kids safe online. That is a huge part of this too, right? We need to know the dangers that are out there and not just bury our heads in the sand because that's easy to do, right? It's easy to not check your kid's phone and see who they're talking to. And, you know, I have told my kids and, and maybe this is more of a fear tactic, but I did this when they were older. I said, you know, there are people who get out of bed every morning with the intention to hurt somebody and to hurt a child. And I don't want that to be you. Right. Because right. as soon as our kids had access to the internet, I, it was scary. It was scary. Sure. You know, how do you protect them? How do you talk to them? All of that stuff. It's really hard as a parent. And especially, you know, like I'm 50 years old, you know, when I was a teenager, there was no internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, like most awkward teenagers, you have your share of tormentors. But when I came home, you know, I had an escape from that. You know, there was, you know, there was none of that where now, 
teams especially deal with such a different set of circumstances where they're never disconnected from that torment. You know, they're, they're bullied at school and then that follows them on the bus and then they get home and they open up their social media pages and there it is again. And you talk about, you know, the fear tactics and stuff and the stranger danger thing. I'm, I'm completely amazed at how many parents use a fear tactic when it comes to interacting with strangers, stranger danger, but then they'll let their child get on social media sites and interact with God knows who from God knows where, you know, and they're okay with it because they're sitting there doing it in the comfort of their own home, you know, and it's, it's, it's a dangerous situation to put your child in because there's a lot of people out there that are just looking to manipulate and take advantage of these kids. And when they're young, especially, you know, like, especially, you know, the teen, young teens, and they start trying to break away from that tyrannical parental overwatch, you know, and they want to do their own thing, they'll take way more risks than are necessary. And in the third book, which this one's not the third book about teens, it won't come out till 2022. So I look forward to talking to you again when that one comes out. But, uh, you know, I cover all that social media stuff and, and how, how, you know, how people work their way into a teenager's life and they groom them and they tell them all these things that they want to hear and they make them feel a certain way. And then they're, you know, you they can find out where these kids hang out, you know, where, the, who they hang out with, who their friend group is. And they can work themselves into these children's lives, take advantage of them. And then God forbid, you know, they ever try to set up an actual physical meeting because that's when things really start going south. And they spend enormous amounts of time building trust and what they consider to be a friendship, a relationship with this kid. The kids consider it to be that anyway. And it's all just for manipulative reasons. And if you can educate your kids on that, and like I said, I'm not a fan of using fear as a tactic, but that I'm not trying to scare kids when I tell them these stories. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to educate them on the realities of life. There are plenty of great you know, there are plenty of great things that you can do with social media, you know, but intuition works on that platform too. So if you yeah. get a bad feeling about somebody or something just seems off or you feel like somebody's lying to you for some reason, then, you know, make sure that they know to take stock of that, analyze it a little bit and say, okay, there's a reason for this. And I need to make sure that I don't have contact with this person anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as parents, we just need to know, we just need to know, and we need to learn these things too, because um, we're up against people who are experts in this, right? Like the bad guys know, but we need to know, right? I'll I'll never forget. I was sitting with a, with the principal of a school one time, and this was in my former career. And we, we had a, we worked with some um, inner city schools with a, with a program for, for some kids. And anyway, Um, I was sitting in her office and she was telling me how some of the girls, and this was an elementary school, so only went up to grade seven, right? So 12 and 13 year olds, how they were prostituting and how she could see the pimps circling the playground, looking for kids to recruit. And that is here where I live. That is a shock to me, right? And so again, yeah, I know, I know we don't want to talk about the fear, but we're talking to parents now. Like, let's just know that there is some pretty diabolical stuff out there. Um, very and, good at what they do. Yeah, we, and we need to know about it. Um, but here's the thing, right? How how do we um, how do we balance being a helicopter parent, being a freaked out parent, an anxious parent, with being um, a parent that is sort of just in the know, because I can see parents listening to this and getting all freaked out. I can see parents listening to this and, and saying, okay, my kid's never leaving my site, you know? Um, and, and what, what I'll just say really quickly is I know the organization for social media safety. One of the things that they talk about in terms of the, the online world is settings in your phone are really important. So location services are off and, you know, things like that. They can't find your kid. But anyway, what, what would you say to that about parents being hypervigilant? Well, I, I think, and I learned this, you know, by raising three teenagers is the more you try to control, the more they're going to push away. You're like polar opposites on magnets. You know, they're just going to keep pushing away, pushing away, pushing away. So ever since my children were little, and I tell this story in the second book, you know, there's certain, there's certain times that I kind of watch them as a parent, get themselves 
into a sticky situation. Nothing <laughs> dangerous, right? Nothing dangerous. Yeah, yeah. But I'll watch them, you know, get into something and just to see how their thought process works and how they how they get themselves out of it. And I try to at the end of the day, we all want our children to grow up to be independent and confident and personable. You know, th- these are traits that we want to see in our children. Yeah. And you can't raise them on a strict diet of fear their whole life and expect them to be that as an adult. So we have to start young, giving them a little bit of control. The one thing you have to do is you have to take your child's fear seriously. So you and I, as parents, we talk about things like, you know, human trafficking, kidnappings and things like this. And it scares us to death. You know, your kid may come to you talking about a monster in their closet and that fear to them is just as real as your fear of a child predator. So you have to take it serious. It's easy for us as adults to look at it through hindsight. You know, we have a different perspective and to not take a child's fear seriously. So if you want your children to be confident and independent, you start working with them on their fears when they're young. So get them comfortable to come into you. And then you start coming up with ways to give them control of that. Right. And one of the things that I use in the book is our daughters shared a room when they were young and we had a problem getting them to go to bed at night and they were young and they were afraid and they did everything they could to draw out the process of oh, yes. actually going to bed. So <laughs> what we did was, you know, we're like, okay, listen, we understand that you're afraid to be in here by yourself and you'd like for me and mommy or me or mommy to be in here with you. And they would have us singing songs and reading stories or whatever. So we said, okay, here's what we're going to do because we want you to be strong. We want you to be, not afraid of things. So here's what we're going to do. The first week, right, we're going to do it the way we always have. We'll come in here and we'll set for however long you want us to. We'll sing songs. We'll read stories until you're ready to go to sleep. And then me and mommy will tuck you in and we'll leave. But after that first week, there's going to be some changes, right? So you start prepping them for this, you know, in their mind ahead Mm -hmm. of time. So in the second week, all right, now we're going to read one story. We're going to sing one song. And then we're going to tuck you in, turn out the lights, and everybody's going to bed. And it doesn't always work according to plan, but it, it helps, right? And there's, a, there's a, a structured path to, you know, where you want them to be. And then week three, you get to pick. Do you want a story? Do you want a song? We tuck you in. We go to bed. By, the, by, by a month into it, you know, we would go. We would, you know, do, have a little bit of family time, ask them about their day, maybe tell them a story. But it wasn't a mandatory thing. Like they knew that they could do without it. They knew that they were taking control of this thing that they were afraid of and they were owning it. You know, now, you know, look at us, we're big girls. We're tucking ourselves in. We don't need you to tell us a story or sing us a song. Yeah. And, and that's what you want to see. You want to see that independence start to develop. And there's, there's a path that you can follow. And I outline it in the books, you know, where you start with them when they're young and you work with them on that those little things from ages Mm. four and in the third book, all the way up to age, you know, when they leave home, 18, 19 Mm. years old, and you work with them on confronting and controlling those fears that they have. And I think Mm. as parents, that's the best thing that we can do is take their fears seriously, Mm. come up with a plan to help them take control of it and then watch them handle that. And if we need to step in and, you know, reassert ourselves in a parental role, that's fine. But the more confidence we give them and the more they're able to control their fear and know that they can control their fears and that they can come to you with problems when they have them and that you're going to take them serious and that you're going to help them work through it, then you don't have to be that helicopter parent. You don't have Mm -hmm. to be over their shoulder constantly. And, you know, listen, I I put this in my book. I'm not a parenting expert, right? I, I'm a federal air marshal, retired, you know, I worked my whole life in military and, you know, like covert law enforcement, you know, type jobs. But in the course of that, we also raised these three children and the lessons that I learned and I did things way wrong, (laughs) like most parents do, you know, but like we said, now I have the benefit of hindsight and that my kid, now my kids are older. All three of them are in the military. And all three of my kids at some point have come to me and said, remember that time that we used to play the what if games? Like, what if somebody came in the door and, you know, this and that? My youngest daughter, she's in Georgia. And uh, this is maybe a month ago. She stopped on her way to work. She's in uniform and everything to get an uh, energy drink before she goes into work. And a guy comes in with a gun and robs her at the gas station. Oh. You know? Oh. So, 
you know, she, she, she handled herself well. She was afraid, you know, and she got the indicators by the way this guy was acting that, okay, he wasn't serious. He's obviously, you know, he's just there for the money. He's not wanting to hurt anybody. And she's unarmed. She's in uniform and she's got a job in a facility where they have to go through metal detectors and everything to get to their job. So she's not able to carry anything to protect herself. She doesn't have mace. And sometimes, sometimes being overly aggressive in a situation, if you don't know how to read it, can lead to more problems. Yeah. So read the situation well. Her and the girl behind the cash register kind of made eye contact, like, hey, just let this dude get what he needs and get out of here. And that's what they did. And the guy just left. So they then she calls me and she's, you know, kind of venting that that adrenaline and telling yeah. me what happened and what should I have done. And it's it's easy to armchair quarterback things, yeah. but in the moment I I, I 100% believe that the things that we taught her as a child about being fearful of something, learning how to analyze it, control it, you know, take, take advantage of the situation so that you're keeping yourself safe and doing the things you need to do. I think that that, you know, those things come back to her. They come to play in situations like that later down the road. And like I said, all three of my kids, you know, have come to me at some point and be like, hey, I'm glad we talked about this. Or I'm glad that you used to do this with us. I'm glad we used to do these things, you know, talk about these. Because as adults, they realize exactly how much they need it. And I'm okay with them rolling their eyes at me when they're teenagers, you know, as long as I know they're retaining the information and it's something they can put to use as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And and I I would imagine too, that the fact that she was wearing a uniform could have actually escalated the situation because you might assume as the bad guy that she is armed or whatever, and that might make them freak out even more. So that's, that's, that's amazing. And so, so what you really said here, first, first and foremost, as, as parents, as humans, we do not make good decisions in fear. So to lead with fear, isn't a good idea. Um, but but really to have good communication to honor your kids' feelings about fear is what you said because our kids feel their feelings as big as we feel our feelings. So who are we to negate that they are scared? I like that you said that. I really love that. And and for you to have good communication and predictable results. Um, and um, and and also what stuck with me, what you said too, is keeping your kids sort of physically fit and active so they have the strength and the wherewithal. Uh, if something does happen to them. And I have to say, years ago, before I was married and had kids, I took, um, when I was in my 20s, I, uh, I took karate. <laughs> and I have to tell you, um, it was for a short amount of time, but there is something about just knowing how to defend myself that brings me even more confidence in just knowing that if somebody were to come up behind me, beside me, I know that I would be able to draw on that training in that moment to be able to defend myself. And so I think that helps me carry myself a little bit, you know, um, with uh, hopefully more of a hard target than a soft one, you know, Sure, because that confidence changes the way you carry yourself. Yeah. In, in, In this first book, spotting danger before it spots you, I talk about what I call the seven second prod. So, you know, in that Grayson and Stein study, and when you read about, you know, you know, these, these predators like Ted Bundy, they all do the same thing it takes them about seven seconds to determine who they want to target. That whole process that they go through takes roughly seven seconds. And the prod is an acronym and it stands for perception, risk, observable value, and defenses. So to keep yourself safe, and these are things you need to teach your children too, especially when they become teenagers, is that's what predators are looking for, those four things. So perception is when they just look at you, what is the perception that they get? Do you look like that confident person that carries yourself well? You know where you're going. You, you're not, you're going to be willing to put up a fight if need be, you know, or are you that timid person that refuses to make eye contact and you're just kind of shuffling along? That's perception. Risk is, you know, what type of, because predators are selfish people. The one thing that they don't want is to get caught or hurt. They don't want that. So mm-hmm. what kind of risk do you pose to them? And young people especially don't pose a lot of physical risk, right? The other things are observable value. So if you're carrying that expensive laptop case that we talked about, or you're walking around with a pair of Bose headphones on, looking at an expensive iPhone, you've cut yourself off visually and auditorily from the surroundings, you're easy to approach. You know, that's that's observable value. So limit that 
when you're out in public and teach your children to limit that. Don't, don't walk around with the headphones and the cell phone out, you know, because that's one of the things that they'll use to target you. And then the defenses, are you in a group? Are you with a dog? Do you look like somebody that would raise an alarm? You know, that kind of thing. What kind of physical defenses do you look like you have that would make you more appealing as a target or less appealing as a target? So, and I break all those things down in the book and it's something that you can apply to yourself as an adult. It's something that you can teach your children so that they know what, you know, people are looking for and how to change a couple of things about themselves to make them more of a hard target. But I always encourage parents to get their kids into some sort of, like you said, you know, self-defense, you know, the sports, because it changes you physically. And, and with that, you become more confident. And when you become more confident and no matter what the, you know, no matter what it is, whether it's karate or soccer, the more confident you become, you become the better you carry yourself. And just that posture and body language alone is enough to throw a predator you know, off and have them go to someone else. It looks like they would be much easier to approach. Wow. That is such good advice. And I just want to thank you for all that you have shared today. I think um, this has been so good, so informative. Thank you for your work and for doing this. And we do have something for parents um, and just really sort of an overview of what parents need to know in terms of spotting danger before it spots your kids. So thank you for that. And that'll be in the parent toolbox. Of course, that's www.parent-toolbox.com. So please join, be a member. These resources are free to you and, uh, and, and your episode will be there. Your resource will be there in the toolbox. And, uh, and I just can't thank you enough for being here and for this work. And I cannot wait to talk to you about the teen, um, the teen <laughs> book that you are yeah. bringing out. What's after teens? Well, you know, I signed a four book contract with YMAA Publications. The first one's on the shelves now. Uh, yeah. The second one's coming out today because we're in the future. That's right. It's <laughs> and, the future. Uh, then uh, in June of 2022 will be Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Teen. And yeah. then to tie it all up, in uh, 2023, we'll be spotting, well, we, we kind of stick with that spotting danger theme. We don't know what the title of the fourth one is going to be yet, but it's going to be a book for travelers, you know, vacationers, you yes. know, kids that are leaving home for the first time, whether it be to travel or to go to college, families going on vacations, because that's kind of my, as a federal air marshal, that's kind of my forte is traveling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I learned a lot of valuable lessons overseas and, you know, just, just throughout my travels and that's kind of a, that's going to be the capstone on this whole project is now, you know, what to look for. Your kids know what to look for. You know how to work together. You can go off and enjoy yourself in any part of the world at any time, yes. feel safe and secure in your environment and with each other and, and just live your best life. That's what this is all about. Wow. Gary, this is so great. All right. So where do people find you? Where do people find your book? Your book okay, so <laughs> I have, I have a website. It's uh, GaryQuestenberry.com. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, Gary.Questenberry. Uh, I'm mo most active on, on Instagram, but that's pretty much it. There's links to everything on the website. Uh, the yep. books are available everywhere books are sold. So wow. you can pick them up on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, Books a Million, wherever. Uh, Is it internationally sold or just in the United States? No, it's sold internationally as well. So yeah, there's, uh, yeah it's on uh, like Amazon, UK. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, just about everything, all the links to my social media sites, uh, everything that you need to know about me or about the books you can find on the website, GaryQuestenberry.com. Like I said, look me up on Instagram, Gary.Questenberry. If anybody ever wants to shoot me a question, you got a question about situational awareness or something like that, I get a lot of them. I try to get back to as many as I possibly can. But if they uh, drop me a line and be like, hey, Robin sent me, I'll be sure to get back to them. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, you know, there's going to be more conversations with you because this is such an important topic and a topic that parents think about every single day. As well every as single. Yeah. And just as you were talking, I, uh, through, through the corner of my eye, just above my, my uh, camera here, I could see my, my one son with his head down into his phone <laughs> um, about to go to school. And I'm watching him. I can see him out my window here. And yeah. his head's up. His head's up. Okay, yeah. good. Down. Now it's up. Anyway. All right. But anyway, thank you for this. Thank you for, um, for being here and for sharing this vital information with all of us. 
Uh, and I will, of course, share all of those links uh, in the show notes for this episode. And, uh, and again, this has been my pleasure. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you having me. And thank you for everything that you do, because I think it's important for parents, for children, for everybody involved. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon, and if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe, and if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and